Welcome to the Branding with Video podcast, your one-stop shop to take your brand to the next level. If you're ready to learn the best tips and tricks in the industry to dominate your brand and become legendary, you've come to the right place. So strap in, listen up, and let's do this. If you're choosing platforms, choose the platform that you are the biggest consumer of. You know, like if you're spending most of your time on TikTok, do that because you've already naturally honed your taste and intuition for that platform better than others by virtue of being a student of it, a consumer of it. Welcome to the Branding with Video Podcast, where we help you to grow your video podcast, scale your business, and make an impact, whether it's from experience that I have with my clients or I bring on some of the best thought leaders in the world. Today we have on Jay Klaus, and he is a phenomenal podcaster, prolific writer, and all of the content that he creates is absolutely world-class, whether that's his LinkedIn newsletter or his first time jumping into YouTube. He doesn't do anything halfway. So I wanted to learn how Jay thinks about creating content and how he is so good at creating content everywhere that he shows up. It's impressive to me how you've gone from podcast to YouTube and just absolutely demolished it. Being a YouTube guy, I kind of want to start there. Like why, why did you decide to take the podcast to YouTube? I know you're resistant to that for a little bit, but what was the kicker for you there? Well, I've never been super comfortable with video. Uh, I've gotten a lot more comfortable this year. But before that, I didn't have the capability to record good video, really. And I also didn't have the skill set of editing video. So to me, like it just, it had to be audio only. And I already knew the audio medium. I love the audio medium. And as the show kind of progressed, I began really enjoying the post-production of audio. Okay. So... As I started to realize ah, I should really invest some time and energy into YouTube, it was hard for me to identify what does that path forward look like because the audio product was so high production feeling yeah. that I didn't want to um, do like a subpar video version that made you feel less about the show. Yeah, and And so I just sat on it for a while and I really wasn't even looking to make the show a video show actively. Um, I was looking for a general assistant and then a video editor um, who I've known from years ago was like, hey, uh, I'll be your assistant, but I really just want to edit video because I think the podcast should be a video show on YouTube and here's how we're going to do it. And he prepared like a six page document of how he thought this should be done. And I was like, "Okay, all right, sold. Uh, And the thing was like if you if you it's a lot easier to go from video to audio than it is to audio to video because you you can't just strap on a video component like you have to engineer the show to be a video first show and so we had to re-engineer the entire process for producing the show and uh, it took a lot of work but here we are i'm really proud of the finished product it's a really hard thing to do on youtube to do long form content and do an interview show yeah um that's not what youtube loves to promote through the algorithm so you have to show up you have to do it really well you have to have a long view on it and that's where we're at everything i've seen from you is as done like done better than anyone i've seen like your newsletter for linkedin like (laughs) where did this come from like this is the best thing i've ever seen um that's the goal like Like, i want everything to look legitimate that's that's the the bar that i set for myself like does this look legitimate does this look like somebody who is a professional in this medium, you know, and that's like a hard thing to do across a bunch of mediums. And I'm not willing to join some platform or some medium without being able to cross that bar. Um, now I, that's not like a starter's mindset necessarily at this point. Like I've, I've found my, my voice. I already have some level of an audience. So it's easier for me to, to have that bar. But if you're just getting started, like don't hold yourself to that. You need to get reps. You need to practice so you can build your way into it i now have experience and resources to deploy to hit that bar but uh it's it's a high bar that raises all the time yeah and i like that i think that you hold yourself to a certain standard because even as a beginner i feel like you should have that bar and just be okay with i'm gonna be well below it but the the goal is is to get here because yeah you end up with a show and, and business like yours and i'm curious yeah, because I was looking at kind of your journey and you've, you know, it looks like maybe freelancer, some of your freelancer, you had some courses, freelancing school, you have community, multiple communities. Throughout this journey, I guess if someone's just starting, like where, what were some of the lessons that you took from your journey and maybe like the order you would do them in, you yeah. know, as far as like community or building social media or, you know, trying to get their name out there so they can one grow on social, but also, you know, build their business as well. It depends on what you're aspiring to. If you okay. want to be um, a professional freelancer, 
then the approach would probably be different than if you wanted to be a professional creator where like yeah. you're you're earning your living from leveraged assets physical or digital that can scale more infinitely than your time can but uh some of the biggest takeaways are if you need to earn money quickly services is the best way to do it it's it's the shortest path it also teaches you a ton like the skill of selling is so transferable to like anything that you do including copywriting so it's it's worth spending some time doing the hand-to-hand combat of selling directly to clients to build that skill set i really advocate for having an owned communication platform like a communication platform that no platform or algorithm can take away or stand between you and your audience so for me that's email and podcasting and now also community community is harder to do sms is also an option here but that's like that's your resilient communication pathway to people who want to hear from you that no company can change their policies and take away so you want to have that the problem with those owned platforms is there's also no platform that's incentivized to get more people to sign up for your email list uh, unless you're on like substack which isn't an owned platform to the same degree so once you have an owned platform then you focus on what i would call a discovery platform social media youtube Google search where people can find you naturally taking the actions they're already taking and having your content recommended to them. That's the order of operations that I would go is, uh, services to make sure you pay whatever bills that you need, learn selling owned communication platform so that when you start doing the discovery thing, you can push them to that and then a discovery platform. Okay. I like that. I like that a lot. I think you've done a really good job. And I mean, this is the LinkedIn newsletter, but it's also your email list. Any lessons you've learned that way? I've started building my own email list and it went really quickly for a minute, but I think that's because I had an okay sized audience. So I went from zero to 600 in like two months. Is it worth focusing there or should we move to that discovery platform? Like you, you mentioned, you still, you still want to like do good work there because growth on an owned platform like email. And for this, I'm talking about a third party email service provider like ConvertKit is my choice. Some people use MailChimp. Some people use MailerLite. Some people use ActiveCampaign. If you are building an email list um, on an email service provider, you want to make a great product because your readers are going to be some of your biggest advocates. And then uh, these discovery platforms can kind of siphon off attention to your email list. And so to grow that, you need to have a compelling reason why people should subscribe. Um, which means you need to have a very clear niche or direction of why you're making this thing. Uh, my, my friend, Jake Thomas, he has a newsletter called creator hooks, creatorhooks.com. And yeah. once a week he sends a list of, um, YouTube videos, headlines, um, and thumbnails and says, here's why this is great. Or here's why this flopped very clear, very specific, very actionable. I can take that. I can learn from it. I know what I'm going to get. He doesn't have to work too hard to get people to subscribe to that. If you're a YouTuber, like. That's a free resource for you to get better at a core part of what you're doing. If you're that specific, that's good enough to get people to sign up. Uh, If you're not that specific, you might want to have what people call like a lead magnet, uh, some free resource that if I give you my email address, I get this thing, I get value from it immediately. And now by virtue of signing up for that, you can communicate with me via email. I like that. I like that a lot. And in my emails, it's usually like lessons or like, you know, some it's value and email, but I've never thought of the the value or the hook to getting on the email is the email itself. Like it, my emails are good, but they're not, they're not good enough that it sells it to like hop on my email because I'm sharing all of this incredible knowledge. So I like that a lot. And if that's uh, true, then people might not, it, like you should probably improve the product a little bit more. Yeah. You know, because Absolutely. Even if you do have a banger of a lead magnet that gets people on there, if the if the email itself isn't great, if people mm-hmm. open it and they're like, eh, I might not open it next time, yeah. then you're off to a bad start. Like you you need to make the product good enough that people open it and they think to themselves, I'm glad I did that. And yeah. just like that's the bar you need to hit every time you hit send is if people open it, they think, I'm glad I did that. Because you want the percentage of people opening it to grow and grow and grow, or at least stay the same. Yeah. Um if you're hitting, if you aren't in that bar, you're just going to turn them out. Yeah. No, I like that a lot. I think that's something I really need to focus on. And I mean, you do that in everything. It's like, if, if someone's not impressed by what you're doing, you don't do it. And I kind of put email, I'm like, Oh, okay. They're on my list. I'm giving value. I am, but it's not to that level. So I think, I think you need to really focus on that. I like that a lot. Um, one question I do have with that is, so we have the own platform and then discovery. How do you use maybe the discovery to grow 
some of these things that are harder. So your you know, email list podcasts are notoriously hard because there's, there is discovery, but it's really, really like YouTube. Mm-hmm. I, I, we can get you discovered on YouTube super easily. Podcast, not so much. You've kind of got to do the, the legwork. So how do you use some of these social platforms to grow your email list or your podcast? Yeah, it's, it's two different approaches, honestly. Um, podcasts, super hard to convert anybody who's not already an audio listener to listen to audio. Like full stop, if I don't listen to podcasts, I'm not going to listen to your podcast. Even if I do listen to podcasts, it's a big ask to get someone to say, all right, stop what you're doing. You're going to hit play on my episode that's an hour-ish or longer in some cases, and that's what you're doing for the next hour. And you don't know me, and you don't know if this is going to be good, but that's what I need you to do. That's a huge ask. That's a huge ask. So for me, I want to get people into my email ecosystem so they can experience like fairly passively, fairly easily with a small investment of their time. Wow, this guy knows his stuff. Um, And I like the stuff that Jay puts out there. So that over time, they might say to themselves, you know what? I'm going to try an episode of Creative Elements and hit play the first time. Because I know if they hit play the first time, they're going to be at least impressed from the production quality, hopefully also the guest, hopefully also the inside of that episode. And now they subscribe to it and they keep coming back. That's a slow burn. It takes a while to get there. Uh, but the battle is getting somebody to click play for the first time on your audio show. YouTube's a lot easier. A lot easier to get people to click play on YouTube. But in audio, that first play is a pretty high bar. So mostly on uh, social media, my discovery platforms, I want to get people to come to my email list. I will tease the podcast uh, once or twice a week. I'll put out uh, like a 30-second clip from the episode to show that the episode is out, show who the guest is. Uh, show some insight that came from it to get people interested to watch more. Um, when I'm really on my game, I'll like take a bit of that episode and make a thread as like a story or like a small takeaway from that episode. So people want to go and listen to it. But mostly I use social media as a tiny audition to show people you should be paying attention to me to some degree. And once you see my Twitter, sometimes you follow me on Twitter and you immediately subscribe to my newsletter. Cause that's what's in my bio. Sometimes you follow me on Twitter and it takes you a while and after a few good tweets from me, you think, I just, yeah, I want to learn more from Jay. And he just reminded me that he has a newsletter, so I'm going to go do that. And then once you're in email world, I'll try to win you over to podcast world over time. Okay. I like that a lot. And that was actually one of my questions was because you did the, uh, did you come up with Tweet 100? I know you're a yeah. big advocate of it. You came up with it. That's so cool. Like, I love the concept. Twitter is foreign to me. Like, I, I'm, they didn't have video for a long time. So I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm good. Like these short hundred, <laughs> I, I can't do this. Um, but I think it's super valuable because the connections I've seen on there, like you can reach some people you really can't reach nearly Definitely. any other way. Um, do you, so do you recommend using Twitter only to the email or are you trying to build the community within? Cause it, I feel like the hard thing is you're you, you're the business, you're, you have this thing going, but you have all these micro communities and you're trying to pull them closer so where you can be more higher touch. How would you use Twitter to kind of grow all these things that, I mean, you have going on, but someone trying to emulate you would also have. I use Twitter as my main discovery platform. And I also use it as a place to test ideas. Um, If if I have something, even just like a thought of an essay, uh, I'll put some tweet out that's related to it and see how it goes. And if I get response to it, I'll think, okay, maybe I'll turn that into a full length essay. But Twitter is, is really you know, it's, it's my main discovery platform because it's easy for me to invest a little bit of time, get my voice out there. It reaches people naturally and organically and, uh, it's very public. So like any success I have on Twitter, not only shows progress and momentum for me, but if they also see that people are engaging with that success, it gives me credibility. It gives me like public social proof. So, uh, I really like Twitter for that reason. And as you said, it's, it's actually pretty easy or it's more accessible to reach people on Twitter than you would expect. And I don't know, I, I don't really know why it's, some people are Twitter people. Some people are not, but if you're on Twitter, it seems like those people still manage their own DMS. Whereas like yeah. Instagram and TikTok, it's pretty common to have a social media manager to help you manage those platforms. And I just don't experience that on Twitter on Twitter. It's like, if people read your DM, it's going to be that actual person. They don't have to pass it along. It's that person. Um, yeah. And that's pretty awesome. Yeah. No, I like that a lot. I think that's when I'm going through kind of your three here of like, you know, getting clients and pay the bills. What I would do is use, you know, like Instagram or email, cold emails. You, 
you've used those for guests kind of ask about that, but there's a thread here where I think that maybe main discovery or reaching out to people should be Twitter. If, if you're a Twitter person, if you can, <laughs> you can do it. Um, what, what are some tips for growing on one growing on Twitter, but also reaching some of these people that maybe are harder to reach? Well, again, I would use this this bar of legitimacy for your profile. Like, you need to have uh, a high quality headshot on there. You need to have uh, a good cover image. And if you don't have like a good cover image to put there, just make it a plain color, whatever shade your brand is, to tie things together. Uh, your bio should be clear. Like, what do you talk about here on Twitter? Um, and it should also have some social proof baked in, like. Uh, I used to work at this company or I have achieved this thing, or this is a thing that I do. So people know if I follow you, what am I going to get? And then, uh, pin one tweet or one thread. They allow you to pin one thing to the top of your profile, pin something that backs up what your profile says you're about to tweet about. So people like, see, not only are you telling me I'm going to get this, but you're showing me that I'm going to get this. That's how you convert like people looking at your profile to following you. Um, Twitter also bought a tool called review R E V U E. It's a newsletter tool. And if you create a review account, a review newsletter, you can put that on your, uh, Twitter profile directly. People can actually subscribe to your review newsletter with one click when you have okay. that integrated onto your profile. That's actually really cool. I think everyone's kind of integrating po podcasts and <laughs> newsletters into the, the platforms, which is kind of interesting. Um, thing that I'm hearing from you here though, is that you really need to understand your niche, understand what it is you're talking about, who you're talking to, you know, looking at your communities, your businesses, um, how important was like really getting clear on that niche? Was it a process or were you, you knew it's, at the start? It's still a process, honestly. Like it okay. is, it is very important because choosing specificity around some type of customer or follower, some sort of audience avatar is one of the biggest unlocks to growth that you can have because um, if you're not specific people have a hard time opting into or out of hearing from you it's hard for them to see what you're putting out there and say is this for me because uh, if it's not a yes it's a no including if I'm confused so if most most of what I see is people who are being pretty unclear and so confusion is a no Confusion is, well, let me try this out. It's like, yeah, I don't think so. So you need to be really clear so that it's easy for the right people to say yes. Otherwise, you're just going to get everybody saying no. Okay. I like that. I think that's uh, I think that's the hardest part for a lot of people because it it's like, well, I like this thing and this thing and this thing. And I'm kind of a mix of these things, which can work. But if you're not super clear, people are confused. And you mentioned that podcasts are incredibly hard to grow. Like you need to be very clear on who you are and kind of relate with, with people in a certain way. Like I, I noticed that it's really hard, like you said, to get people to go from <laughs> social media to podcasts. Yeah. It's hard to go from social to email to podcast, but it's really hard to go from podcast to podcast or from social to podcast. If we're growing our podcast, like is guest appearances, is that helpful? Are there some of these other things other than email that you'd recommend um, to yeah. grow our podcast? Yeah. I mean, if, if you can be a guest on other shows, that will certainly help. Um, it needs to be a show that's going to move the needle for you. Uh, it's, it's really easy to spend time guesting on shows that don't have an audience and see no result. Um, so increasingly I'm a lot more picky about where I go simply because, uh, time is finite and it's, it's more worthwhile to spend more time building a relationship with a podcast host who has a larger audience and do that one show than it is to do a whole bunch of shows that have little to no audience. It's, it's, it's just the truth of the matter. So guesting does work if it's a show that has listeners. Um, okay. And the biggest, the biggest way to grow your show is also like the most inaccessible way, but it's worth mentioning in case you can do it is getting featured in podcast listening apps. If, if you're on the front page of the listening app or in the discover section, that's going to get you more listeners. People who are already in the app, so they're already podcast listeners, are looking for podcasts, and they can find yours. That's like the biggest unlock of, of how to get more listeners. All those apps have like editorial teams, so most of those decisions are editorial 
and sort of merit based, it's hard to like game that, but some, some tools allow you to purchase ads like overcast and pocket cast. They have public, uh, ad purchasing capability. Uh, and it works to, to some degree. It's, it's not like the cheapest, uh, subscriber, but, um, it's an option. So that, that brings up a lot of questions though, because for YouTube, I, that, that's my space. I, I, I know how to get you suggested on YouTube podcasts. I feel like it's so different because the data <laughs> downloads. Okay, cool. Well, like, did they drop off somewhere? Like you don't get all of this data. So, or is it to get featured on those pages? Are you trying to get like longer listens or more reviews or, or is there, there any criteria that we do know of? I mean, Apple knows what shows are being listened to because they have their charts. Spotify yeah. does as well. So if you are ranking highly, they will see that data and know that you are a show worth featuring. Okay. If you're not on those charts, if you're not getting that data on those players, then it's kind of a relationships game. Like you have to build relationships with the people who are on the editorial teams at those apps. They cycle things through pretty frequently. Like Apple podcasts will have some sort of seasonal category that you can get sponsored in like uh during the pandemic creative elements was sponsored in the life at home category on apple podcasts and okay. that came completely organically um i had no way of like really pushing that i didn't know it was coming but i was pleased to see that it happened um so if you if you do get a critical mass of listeners on one of those major platforms that's really really going to help your case because now you have gotten into the eye line of the decision makers naturally uh, if it's not happening through data alone, you need to figure out another way to get into the eye line, metaphorically speaking to those decision makers. Good advice. Difficult. It, I feel like <laughs> social were like, Hey, I just want to post on be good. I told you it's, but it's, it's the most <laughs> inaccessible version. Cause there's like, the, the thing is, there's just not organic discovery yeah. in podcast it's, listening apps the way there is on YouTube. So like yeah. there is no algorithmic exposing of your show really it all yeah. has to be driven by you which is why i i try to introduce people to the podcast via email because that's a thing that i can pretty reliably drive people to sign up for and that's a cheaper method of acquisition for a new listener than just paying for an audio listener in pocket cast or something like i can acquire yeah. email listeners at a much cheaper price than i can direct audio listeners uh, and so even though it takes more email listeners uh, or email subscribers to expose the show to, um, that's the bet that I'm making. Yeah. And if you have the excellent content on your email and it looks amazing, if people want more, that's, that's where you give them more. So I think that's, you have this perfect kind of funnel bringing people into more and more value as, as they want it. That's the goal. Um, what? That's the goal. That's the goal. I like it. I like it a lot. Where, so where does do courses and communities come into play here? I've, I've heard a lot of people say, don't do a community, do a course first. And, um, some just really thrive on having that community. You've built a couple now. So, I mean, and managed, um, for Pat Flynn as well. What, what would your recommendation for when we're putting these in and how would we use them? Courses, community, they can serve different, um, purposes for your business. Um, on the community side, sometimes you want to have a free community. Uh, sometimes you want to have a paid community. So if you're if you're going the free route, then it's a question of okay, what what does that serve for the business? Is it that I want to deepen relationships with people and I want to do that at a level of scale and make it accessible? Like I think a really good reason to have a free community is if you have a podcast and you have no idea who's listening because podcast analytics are obscured in that way. You can have a community to say, hey, by the way, if you're listening to the show, come over here. It's free. You can meet me, you can talk with me, you can talk with other listeners. That's a really good reason to do a free community. Free communities are really hard to do over time if you're putting a lot of your own involvement into it because it doesn't compensate you for that time. So like as the community grows and becomes more successful, it's actually demanding more resources from you and still giving you no resources in return. You have to really understand like, okay, if I have a free community and this goes well, what what is the end game of that? What do I do with that? How, how do I transition that into something that is sustainable? 
courses and paid. I hope you're enjoying the show. Podcasts are absolutely one of my favorite ways to consume content. But if you didn't know, I actually also have the video versions of all of these podcast episodes on my YouTube channel. So if you go to wearevideomakers.tube, it'll take you right to the We Are Video Makers YouTube channel. And there's a full playlist with all the branding with video podcast videos. So again, that's wearevideomakers.tube, or you can go down in the show notes and there's a link there as well. I'll see you over there. You from the attention that you're gathering, you know, if you, if you want to build a business that is generating revenue that's not dependent on platforms, which is something that I really value. You know, there's a lot of buzz right now about uh, YouTube shorts being able to be monetized and uh, Twitch is reducing the revenue splits for some of its top creators. People always get up in a, in a tizzy about like platform creator funds. And the reality is like those funds are not sustainable super long term. Like they are at war right now they're doing an arms race of competing with each other to get the best creators on their platforms and so they're going to give more favorable terms now than they probably ever will again and if you build businesses on the back of those revenues you're going to get into trouble when those things change so for most creators that i work with we want to build platform resilient businesses courses paid communities our product offerings we can put out there that are not dependent on those platforms that um provide value to our audience, create transformation for them. They just take two different forms. Okay. I like that a lot. And I think that's, like you said, any platform, I mean, it could be, and because I work with YouTube a lot, just the ads, what quarter spend are we in? So you could do everything right and even grow, but ad spends down. And so bids are not as competitive and you're making less money for no fault of your own. So I like that, you know, making sure that you're getting, value that you need. I do like, I, I've tried to start free communities, but I think there was the, couldn't afford to invest the time for the return. Um, but same with paid communities. I feel like sometimes if you don't have a big enough audience, they not quite there yet. Um, but if long-term that's what you want to do, that might be a good option there. Um, when do you think everyone should consider starting like a paid community or course, mm. or are there other ways that maybe they could monetize instead if they wanted to? Not necessarily. I mean, there are all kinds of ways that you can monetize. It's it's kind of like, are you compelled to do this? Do you think that you can create value for people by doing this? Is this something that if it goes well, you're going to be happy that you're doing this? It's a lot easier to experiment with courses because those are a investment of time and then people can buy it or they cannot. You can stop selling it at any time if you want. But with a paid community, you're making a much bigger commitment to the people who are joining that. Uh, so it's, it's a harder thing to just dabble in. I think you really have to be pretty committed to doing that because of course, yes, you could start a community. You could shut it down. What happens then? Do you refund people for the remainder of time of their purchase? Do you piss them off? Uh, either way, even if you refunded people, you have now sent a signal to your audience that I don't necessarily take seriously the things that I commit to and people are going to be slower to commit to you when you make some new offer to them. So you really want to be pretty bought in on community as a model if you go down that route. And I would just spend more time up front thinking about it. Like run the model, do the math, understand if I offer this at this price point, how many people do I need to join for this to feel worthwhile of my time? And I'm happy that I did this because most people will go out of the gate and they'll say, yeah, I'm going to do a community. I'm going to make it $20 a month. They get 10 people to join and that feels really good at first, but then they realize I'm making $200 a month and I'm spending so much time here and they begin to resent it and they don't want it to be more successful. They stop putting energy into it. It becomes a bad product, but still people are paying for it. You don't know what to do with it. You got to think through that longer term to make sure that out of the gates, I see a, um, a timeline I am content with that gets me to a place where this thing is something I want to support and invest my own effort into because it's going to serve this purpose in my business that makes me happy. I like that. I like that a lot. I think that's, I think kind of what people are trying to tell me of like, don't do community was more of a warning of be careful what you commit to and yeah. just not said as eloquently as you did there. <laughs> I think that's something you need to consider. It's, it's a long-term investment. You can't just, <laughs> pull back and be like, Oh, nope. Yeah. Change my mind. Um, I kind of want to shift gears a little bit. I'm really curious about your podcast workflow because I mean, it has changed from audio to video, I'm sure, but I'm, I'm curious how much has adding the video 
impacted it and then I want to dig into kind of some details but how how is adding video impacted how you record the audio for your podcast it hasn't changed how I record audio all that much we use Riverside now so we're also recording video with everything before before um we released the YouTube show I wasn't recording video with my guests so it, it kind of sucks I wish I would have at least recorded with video from as early of a point as was able so that I could go back and now make that into a video asset, but I just don't have that. So the process hasn't really changed other than I'm using Riverside, I'm recording video, uh, I have an editor. So actually it's it's less time for me on a weekly basis because I was doing the full editing and audio. And now that we're doing video, we edit the video first and foremost, and then the audio is mastered after the video is edited. So there's actually no point in that process that I'm at the keys editing it gets to basically a point of qa where I, I i script and record my voiceover for the intro the outro and the mid rolls and then i don't see the episode until it's basically done and ready for qa and i put some final notes on it and usually those notes aren't even structural anymore like hey we need to add this or or put this in there it's more like hey in this caption i saw a typo <laughs> you know okay. so it's like really small things yeah. um and it's been great because it's it's removed me from the process quite a bit, given me back uh, quite a bit of time. Uh, so, yeah, going to video has actually been easier. Well, it's it's been an investment that paid off bigger in a shorter period of time than I expected because of the time that I was able to win back. I like that. that most people would be like, oh, no, it's going to be two or three times the work, but... Um, I mean, it is two or three times the work, just not for me, <laughs> just not for you. Yeah. You have somebody helping you. Um, so when you're scripting, you said you script the intro mid and then end. I, I noticed, I mean, it's that first maybe five minutes or so you're really introducing your guest. Well, it, it's not this, Oh, they did this and they did that. It's this nice story of bringing the viewer or listener along through some of yours speaking, but a lot of what maybe has been said in the recording, um, how does that work? How do you, how do you do that and make it look so effortless? I know it's not, but like, what's that process look like? It's definitely gotten a lot clearer over time. And the way I would describe it now is it's every episode is basically a three act structure. Actually. It's almost like, it's almost like uh, theater or film where, because there are two mid rolls, I have segment one ad break segment two ad break segment three. Uh, and there is like a, a, a narrated intro at the beginning of segment one. And so basically what we do is we take those three acts as a story arc and pull a tiny audio clip from each one and put that in the intro. So you basically get a preview of the full episode, the story arc of this episode oh, okay. in the intro. And then I script around it to make it feel like a seamless, very tight story in the intro. That's I like that a lot. That's brilliant because, I mean, most of the time it is the, you know, coming soon, the, the first 15, 20, 30 seconds, a gold nugget that hooks people in, relates to the title, makes sure that people know, hey, I'm on the right place. But after that, it's pretty easy to lose people. So if you're continuing the story, it's an hour-long video, just tell the story for a few minutes, make sure they understand what they're getting into. Yeah. I think that's, that's brilliant. And we used to do both. We had like a, a, com a coming up sort mm -hmm. of like 15 to 25-second uh, preview. And then I would do the scripted intro. And what we've been experimenting with over the last month or so is taking out that preview in the video version uh, because we don't think it's necessary for retention. If we do the intro scripted as well as we do, we actually want to shorten the time from intro to interview, but make that intro really compelling. So by removing that clip, we save almost 30 seconds, which is like the most critical part of the episode. And so if I can script it to keep people's attention really well for the first two minutes to get them in the interview, uh, we're going to do better with that strategy, we think. And so far, the data has been playing out to show that to be true. Our our retention has, or our average view duration, I should say, has been higher uh, for the episodes that we've done that with. Um, I still add that back into the audio products because I actually still want the audio experience to be similar to what it always has been. But okay. that adds a little bit of complexity and extra work into the workflow. Okay. On that, I mean, it sounds like you're, again, you're spending tremendous time to do the best work possible. You're contextualizing both for the platform so that it performs the best. Um, I, I feel like 
the, there's no better way to do this because <laughs> it, if anybody finds any piece of your content, they're going to want to listen or watch or read any of the other pieces. And so you've really built this incredible machine that I, I can see why the success is, you know, you've had as much as you had. I, for me, looking at your story, it looks fast. I'm not sure if it feels fast, but like you, you've done and built something really, really incredible, very, very fast, especially on YouTube. Like, I don't know if you know this, but hitting a thousand subscribers usually takes two years on average. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. And 20 or 80% of channels never hit a thousand subscribers. So you hit wow. top 20% of YouTube. I think it was like, was it six weeks? They hit something like that. Yeah. It's it probably a little bit more than a month. Yeah. So you accomplished something really incredible, really, really fast because of you know how amazing your your work is. So that makes I, me feel good because we're yeah. we're thinking, and it probably won't happen this year. I mean, we'll find out. But personally, I want to double down on YouTube in the next year, um, and that would be more YouTube style, shorter form videos from me that are probably loosely based on some of the essays that I'm writing. Um, that are like more specific problem and explanation oriented, but that probably won't make sense on the creative elements channel. So we'll probably have to do the same journey again on another channel, uh, which I'm not like super pumped about that part, but, uh, I am pumped about, uh, investing more time and energy into YouTube as a platform. Yeah. No, I think you're, you're doing it well. One, one thing also just for you as a note is that the fastest growing lengths of videos is one to three hours. So you're, you really are putting, your eggs in the right baskets as far as yes. you know, I think. So give me those uh, eggs. Yeah. Keep doing it. <laughs> um, I like this. And so one other, one last question about your, your production, you said that you have three segments and you script out. I know you, you prepare, you listen, you get some questions, more questions than you can ask. Are, when you're setting up this, are you kind of like story arcing the questions for the interview? Or are you doing that in editing? I do. I do. Okay. Cause what I want to do in an interview and this goes back to when I was editing this myself. So like I got better at conducting interviews so that the editing lift was lighter and the way that I could get better at making the interview itself easy to edit was removing a lot of my vocal tics, which just took time and practice. And then also, uh, theming parts of the interview. So like, in my research, when I write questions before I go into the interview, I will list them in a certain, like I will want to go through the questions kind of chronologically in terms of theme. Now, sometimes I don't hit every question in a theme, but what I don't want to do is have like, okay, let's talk about subject a, let's talk about subject B. Yeah. Oops. I forgot about something in subject a, let me go back to that because in editing, I know I'm going to want to switch that around then. I'm going to want to move that. And you can do that. And that's one of the great things about doing post-production is even if I am a poor interviewer and I go all over the place and go back and forth on certain subjects, I can edit that and make that seem pretty seamless. I didn't want to do that work though. So now I do that in pre-production, make sure that I understand the progression of topics that I want to go. Uh, and really important is just where do I want to start? Because like if you if you get really specific about what's my first question, that's going to naturally lead into the first subject. So those things need to be tightly coupled together. If you have like an idea of the first subject you want to talk about, because sometimes from the first question, the guest will get off on a tangent. And if your first subject is like really far away from that first question, they're probably not going down the right path that you wanted. Um, so it's, it's important to choose that first question wisely. Okay. I like that. That's a good tip. I, I feel like I, my process similar, you know, I like to research, like to listen to as much content as I can try to ask, I mean, it's okay if the question's been asked before, but try to ask you more unique questions and ones that are really going to benefit me. Um, but I don't, I don't do that story. Like I don't pay attention to my first question. It's like, Hey, this is the thing I'm interested in. But like you said, I think that'll, it, it sets the first impression and it allows that yeah. to really unfold a lot better. Um, are there any other tips for creating an incredible podcast that maybe I didn't ask about? You got to be ruthless with your editing. Like I record 45 to 55 minutes of content, but we always cut at least five minutes, sometimes even up to 10. It's probably, if there's a part of the podcast where you're like, ah, this is fine. It probably won't be missed. You know, if if there's a part of it that you don't think is a travesty to not include for your audience's benefit, cut it. Shorter is better. You're going to get more and you're going to get better results 
by having a shorter show because a shorter show is easier for people to click play on the first time. So if you have an episode and you're like, ah, eh, this, this five to 10 minute uh, side tangent we went on, it's unrelated. It's fine. It's not great. Cut it. Just get rid of it. You're not going to miss it. You're not going to, you're not going to wake up a month later and be like, why did I get rid of that 10 minutes of audio? You're going to be glad that you have like a really tight episode that people refer and get through. And that's, that's the win. I like that. I think that's in YouTube. That's my advice always. You know, if, if it doesn't help the story, how it doesn't help the video, cut it. But with the audio, I figure, Oh, it's longer. People listen, but it's easier to lose them. If you do that, um, you, you mentioned mastering. How important is that? Um, you know, I use Riverside as well. It's really high quality audio. Not even sure what mastering does, what the difference is. Is is that something we should focus on or is that maybe like that next, that last little few percentage points? I was mastering before I was doing anything else. Um, now, with good equipment like this, you're going to get good audio out of here. What was important to me was consistency of volume between mm -hmm. me and my guest uh my audio engineer makes that really nice he also used to do the, the work of cutting out whatever fillers i had left in or the guest had in so that was useful you would notice a difference if you took audio unmastered had an audio engineer master it you would notice a difference the question is is that difference material and and enough for you to invest in it it depends. And I think honestly, it's going to depend on your guest and their audio quality more than anything else, because what you don't want is your, your listeners having to adjust their volume dial within the podcast to, to hear your guest, uh, or turn down your guest, And you don't really want them changing it between episode to episode either. So, uh, mastering it makes, makes my sound consistent across my entire catalog. Okay. I like that. And I think, I think that is important because on YouTube, like my videos, the, the volumes not quite all over the place, but it's not consistent. And that, that bothers me and bothers me when I click on anybody else's video as well. It's like, you're blowing my eardrums off or I've got to turn you all the way up yeah. to be able to hear what's going on. So, uh, I think it is the little details, it's the little details that make everything you've done so incredible. And so I think I'm going to put that on my list to, <laughs> to look into. It's worth, it's worth investigating for sure. Yeah. I like that. Um, is there any, I'm trying to think through because so I'm YouTube. That's what I know. Like I've been consulting for years, just barely started my YouTube channel like a year ago now, um, really starting to work on it. So I, I know that side, but the podcast I feel like is really not doing as well. Um, maybe not focusing on it as much as I should. Um, if, for someone like me trying to balance all these platforms, but I feel like the podcast has more potential. What, what are some things that you would give me advice to do to, really make that an asset as well as to grow it. I would remove all expectations okay. because your podcast, are we talking audio or video? Um, so the video, I do have it on Spotify, but that's had issues. It is on YouTube, which does well, but the audio, um, does okay. Um, I feel like it should do better and maybe, maybe you need to not have the expectations. Well, the thing is like, there's just no discoverability in audio. So any audio listeners you're going to get, you're going to have to push there. Uh, and that's going to come from the rest of your audience. Um, audio podcasts are a relationship deepener. That's the purpose they serve. They are not going to be top of funnel new audience acquisition unless it is a banger of a show. That is your listeners favorite show and they can't stop talking about it. And even then that's going to take years for that flywheel to develop. I'm just starting to experience that a little bit. Uh, more importantly is like, uh, some of those listeners who are advocates, like do any of them have blogs with their own audiences to talk about this? Um, again, can you get featured somehow? That's, what's going to grow an audio show. Uh, and that's really hard to do. So remove all expectations of growth from an audio show. It's not going to work. Uh, you need to think about it as an audience deepener and say, okay, where am I touching people now? It sounded weird. Where am I reaching people now? And how do I get them to hit play for the first time on the podcast so that they trust me even more? Um, you got it. You got to be marketing the show to people who are listening to you on other platforms and it's still a competitive landscape. Like even if you get people to click play for the first time, uh, are they going to listen to every episode? Most people won't. Um, they won't listen to every episode. They'll listen to a lot, especially your, your best listeners. But, uh, 
you know, it's, it's a grind. It's, it's something that you should be committed to for a very long time or, uh, divest of like you use that time and attention elsewhere. If, if it's not performing to what you want and you, you don't feel comfortable removing expectations for it and doing it for five years, just don't do it because it's a huge commitment and you can be utilizing that time elsewhere or somewhere where there is discovery and probably grow your audience much faster if that's what your goal is. Okay. Well, that's, that's a fair point. And you starting YouTube now, do you think, do you regret not having it as a YouTube first show? Yes. Like seeing, yep. okay. <laughs> if people are getting into podcasting now, I'm like, do YouTube, do, okay. do video first and then make sure that it works as an audio show. Also, you know, like the struggle of that is if you're doing a video show and a lot of the value is on screen, but without audio, then it doesn't quite work. Like we, we had an episode early on when we we're doing the YouTube channel and, um, I wanted to showcase an example of what I was saying in the interview with a scene from breaking bad. And I found the scene and it was good, but it was a scene, uh, is from the, from the pilot episode one of Walter, like stepping out of the RV and freaking out and pulling out a camera and like, he's huffing and puffing a little bit, but the impact is on watching him. And we had to decide that this, this is a great example for the video show, but we got to pull it because in audio, it makes no sense. All you hear is this, you, know, you just hear heavy breathing it makes no sense. So you have to design the show, uh, to work in audio each episode. And yeah, I would 100% recommend doing it as a YouTube first show, uh, because it de-risks the entire investment of your time to do that. You're opening yourself up to new audience acquisition, which audio only does not do. And if you're not willing to do that, then just be really realistic about what you think this audio only show is going to do for you because it's not going to be new audience acquisition. Yeah, no, I like that. I like that a lot. I think that's each has its place, but YouTube kind of serves all of them decently well. Whereas some like, I think, I think you're right with podcasts where it's like that relationship deepener. I can throw it on, listen, no big deal. Um, we're, I'm curious on your take on this. I don't know if you've thought about this, but like video podcast. So I got this question, like, it's just what you said, designing it for both YouTube works great, but Spotify is able to do that. Apple, I haven't quite figured out how to get my show on Apple video wise, but I feel like it has all the disadvantages of a podcast and disadvantages of YouTube kind of, I don't know. What is your take on <laughs> that kind of video podcast? I would love to take the video we're doing in, on YouTube and make it available on Spotify or Apple. I don't know how to do it on Apple. I've never seen it on Apple. I don't understand. People say that it's possible on Apple and I've just, I've never even seen it. So I don't understand it. Uh, to do it on Spotify, you have to go through anchor as a host, which I, that's a non-starter for me because my host megaphone, which is also owned by Spotify, by the way, um, they don't have that capability. Um, and I'm not going to move hosts because megaphone is what I need for the style of advertising business that I run with the podcast. So it's, it's completely disjointed. It'll get better. Megaphone will make it available and the show will be on Spotify. And I think that's worthwhile if you're starting out and you don't have ads that you're selling, uh, but you're doing video on YouTube yeah, host with anchor, put it on, put it on Spotify. Why not? But for, for, uh, existing shows that are already using hosts like megaphone, it just, it doesn't make sense. Okay. And that's kind of where is that the suggestion I heard? And I'm curious on, they said, make a second one. That's video. I'm like, I feel like that gets rid of all the momentum and all of the benefit yeah, that you've it's, spent time doing. I, I'm not going to do that because yeah. if you make a second feed, for Spotify, mm -hmm. that feed will still show up on other podcast catchers. So if I'm on Apple Podcasts and I'm searching the name of your show, oh, I'm going to see okay. both and I'm still going to have to choose which one to listen to. Oh. And now you have split your your audio downloads across two feeds, which again presents a problem when you are uh, moving towards an advertising model someday. Yeah. Okay. So just all the issues. <laughs> yeah. I'm not, I'm, no not, I'm not interested in having an extra feed, but I'll, I would rather wait until it's a capability that's available in the hosting provider that I'm currently using, uh, as opposed to making a second feed. Okay. No, I appreciate that. I think that that clears up a lot for me that way. And I feel like there's so many questions. It's easy to overthink all of this, but really getting started, getting going, I think is, is what's the, what's most important. Do you have any advice for those either just getting started or maybe they haven't taken those first steps. They maybe think they know what they want to do, but they're maybe afraid to do the video or the podcast or whatever yeah. it is they want to do. If you want to be a creator, you need to understand 
what is unique about your message that would make people tune in and pay attention, whether that's writing, video, audio, whatever, wherever you're showing up online, what is your message, the lens that you put on the world for a specific type of person that makes you different? Uh, yes, that speaks to this idea of niche, but more importantly, even if you choose a niche, you need to have a unique message. Um, I think it's more important to have a unique message than it is to have a niche because you could have a niche and not succeed because there are already people doing that with a more differentiated message than you. You can have a differentiated message, be a little sloppy on who your niche is for, but if that message is attractive and people need it, they will follow you. So figure out what that is. It's probably going to come from whatever unique experience you've earned in your life so far, your earned insight. What is it that you have come to understand and know better than most people that you can share with them? And if you feel like you haven't earned any insight yet, then it's a tough place to start from. You kind of just need to start trying. You need to, you need to start earning insight. You need to do something and recognize that you're probably not going to build a sizable audience for a while because there's not a huge reason to follow you yet. Like it's tough love, but that's just the way it is. Um, so if you're in that place, you, you got to get some reps, you got to get started. And, uh, Danny Miranda put this well recently when I was on a panel with him, if you're choosing platforms, Choose the platform that you are the biggest consumer of, you know, like if you're spending most of your time on TikTok, do that because you've already naturally honed your taste and intuition for that platform better than others by virtue of being a student of it, a consumer of it. It's hard for me to do TikTok because I spend no time on it. I, I don't like scrolling through TikTok. So my TikTok channel is not very good. On the other side of the spectrum, if you look at the platforms that I spend the most time on, that's where I'm also doing the best. And that's not an accident. That's, that's correlation. I would use that as your, your measuring stick and your lens of where should I spend time? Pick the one that you'd like to consume the most, uh, get some reps by virtue of trying things. You're going to figure out what you like and what your voice is. And that's the starting point. Every creator <laughs> started or not needs to hear that. I love that. My newsletter at creatorscience.com. It's where I'm sharing the most up-to-date information about what I'm learning, including the interviews that I have on the podcast. So creatorscience.com, if you're on the path of wanting to become a professional creator, if you like podcasts, you can tune into my podcast, Creative Elements. Jay made some incredible points about creating content on the platform that you spend the most time on. YouTube is the best place for thought leaders, for business educators to create content. In episode 10, we actually talked about whether or not you should create a video podcast. And then we also went into a couple of things that you should know before you do it if you decide to in episode 15. So go check out those episodes and I will see you over there. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's show. If you haven't already listened to some of the past episodes, I wanted to give you a couple of options. So here are a couple of guest episodes that you might like. On episode one, we learned how Sev grew to 1.1 million followers on TikTok. Episode three, how to make money streaming on Amazon Live. Episode five, we learned how Chris Doe grew to 2 million subscribers and what he would do if he were starting over in 2022. Episode seven is how an 18-year-old built a five-figure-a-month business on TikTok. And episode nine is how to grow and monetize your podcast. I hope one of those sounded interesting to you. If they did, I'll see you in the next episode. If not, make sure to go to the show notes and connect with me on LinkedIn and let me know who my next guest should be.